Welcome to Amici, news and insights from the New York courts. I'm John Carr. For this Diversity Dialogue segment, I'm pleased to welcome Chief David Santiago, although I'm tempted to call him David Santiago I because his career has been a series of historic firsts. Chief Santiago, a court officer since Bill Clinton was president and Mario Cuomo was governor, was repeatedly the first Hispanic in several roles as he climbed his way up the ladder. He was the first person of color and first Latino in Suffolk County to become a sergeant, and a lieutenant, and a captain, and a major, and now chief. So for this Hispanic Heritage Month edition of Diversity Dialogues, I'm honored to welcome to the program Chief David Santiago I. Chief, thank you so much for coming on the program. I know your family came to New York from Puerto Rico. When and why? My mom uh, came to the United States uh, back in the early, early late 60s. Um, she uh, moved because her sister was already in the United States, um, but she settled in in Ohio. I was actually, she moved to New York when I was about two years old, back in uh, probably around 1973. And then, so, so where did you grow up? Uh, on, in New York, uh, on Long Island, pretty much uh, for the most part, she settled uh, on Long Island uh, back in back in that time, and we, you know, we moved from house to house in the beginning, but for pretty much for my whole life, I've been on Long Island in Suffolk County. So, as a child, was your Puerto Rican heritage important to you, to your family? Absolutely. I mean, culturally, growing up, um, you know, the the music, the food. Um, the, 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 the family style of, of growing up with, um, I have a large family, four brothers, two sisters. So, um, it was, um, it, you know, just a big part of our culture is, is, uh, you know, ingrained into us from a young age. Did your neighborhood uh, have other people of Puerto Rican backgrounds or Hispanic backgrounds? Yeah, most, uh, most of, um, the neighborhoods I grew up in, um, they were mostly minority neighborhoods. So, um, I, I grew up in a very diverse, diverse uh, culture and diverse neighborhood. Um, even throughout my schooling, most of my, my high school and my junior high school was um, very diverse. What do you wish people better understood about uh, Puerto Rico and the, and the Puerto Rican population? Um, I mean, it, it's, it's coming to uh, fruition more so lately, um, but for the most part growing up, I mean, I remember the years that everyone thought that Puerto Ricans were immigrants, uh, so to speak, uh, whereas, you know, we've had citizenship for, for so many years, we're basically considered one of America's last colonies, and, uh, you know, that we grow, we, we're born into becoming American citizens uh, by, by nature, and um, some people sometimes confuse that and, and believe that we're uh, not real American citizens. Very real. In fact, I think you're fully eligible to run for president, are you not? Yes, that's true. <laughs> well, th th this is your opportunity to announce your candidacy. Yeah, yeah. And I think also on that same topic, you know, the, the Puerto Ricans have fought alongside, have, and pretty much I think it's every world war since Vietnam, um, fighting alongside Americans, and uh, they even had their own regiments and their own uh, companies that... Uh, that fought in every every war that America has fought in. I'm sure. Now, who are your early role models and heroes? I mean, it was difficult uh, for, from the time that I grew up in and, and being of Puerto Rican descent. Um, it, there weren't many Puerto Ricans on TV or Puerto Rican superheroes, so to speak. So, um, you know, my older brothers, I looked up to them. And, uh, 
kind of basically just had to really invent my own type of people. My mom obviously was a big influence in my life. And, uh, you know, I looked up to her work ethic and how she uh, always wanted to succeed in everything that she did. So your, your mom was a great role model and you, you mentioned her work ethic. What, what do you mean by that? Well, she, um, she never sat still. You know, if she wasn't doing something around the house, she was always, um, uh, you know, she used to babysit uh, children um, as kind of like a side job that she would um, to be able to earn extra income. Um, you know, with seven mouths to feed, it was a little difficult on her. And growing up in a single-parent household, you know, it was difficult for her to uh, keep us, you know, keep provide for all of our needs. Now, um, were you always interested in law enforcement? Um, probably later in my high school life, um, after having a few interactions with law enforcement myself, um, uh, it, it kind of sparked an interest in me. And, um, uh, since like high school, I, I definitely knew I wanted to join law enforcement and, um, I went into college to uh, take criminal justice and explore all the careers in within law enforcement. And, um, I just started taking all the, all the uh, civil service exams that, uh, were law enforcement related. Now, you mentioned interactions with law enforcement. What, what did you mean by that? <laughs> uh, well, you know, uh, being young and, um, you know, uh, being in a predominant, predominantly minority neighborhood, uh, you know, with interactions with the police were quite common. Um, I remember being 16 and, and, you know, starting to drive my own car to high school. Um, you know, there were several times where you would just, Oftentimes get pulled over. You you would have you know some some bad some good interactions with with the police department. So it just um, it always sparked an interest in me. Hmm. Now, what attracted you to a career as a New York State court officer rather than another law enforcement agency? I mean, I took all the tests, and um, I actually just took the court officer exam on a whim. Um, I saw the job description. I believe at that time it was in the chief newspaper, and. Um, it described that it was primarily a nine-to-five job, no weekends, no holidays, and um, I kind of like the idea that, you know, I was going to start a family, and I knew that this job would be the best for me in terms of not having to work rotating shifts or, or overnights or be away from my family for too long, for too many hours. Um, I, I like that aspect of it and uh, being indoors and um, just I, I found the court system to be fascinating and to be a part of the court system was always uh, a dream of mine too. You know, I thought it was, um, you know, being able to listen to court cases and even what you see on TV may not translate into real life, but it was, it was, um, it, it, it just sparked that interest in me to definitely want to want to find out what it was all about, so to speak. Now, some of our listeners may not realize that court officers are police officers. Uh, not uh, you know security guards. So t t tell me what it is that court officers do. And we, we have, I think, a couple thousand of them in the court system. And what what do these police officers in the court system do? Yeah, you know, um, there's a distinction in the penal law where where a police officer and a peace officer. I mean, technically by law, we are peace officers. So uh, we have almost every power that a police officer has. Uh, within our acting pursuant to our special duties, which include uh, everything that a, a, a police officer does out on the street. Uh, we make arrests. We, we uh, have the penal law power to um, commit, uh, you know, to do search and seizure, to uh, execute warrants. Um, 
to search uh, prisoners. Um, but our our job duties, you know, vary from even from court to court. Whereas some of the criminal court parts, you may uh, be assigned to prisoner details where you're moving prisoners to and from a courtroom uh, before the judge. And um, in other instances, you may um, escorted provide security for a jury. And um, in all courthouses, court court officers are there. Uh, providing security for our screening individuals who come into the courthouses, making sure that our court office, that our courtrooms operate safely and effectively, and screening for, you know, weapons uh, coming into our court buildings. I understand. Since uh, I can tell you are not 100 years old, um, your appointment is first char- first sergeant, first lieutenant, first captain, first major first chief of, of Latino heritage in Suffolk County were relatively recent events. Why did it take so long? Um, I, I just think it was just similar to my situation. You know, I didn't even know what a court officer was. I didn't uh, know what the job entailed. And I, I think it's mostly um, back then it was more more of a, uh, an issue as far as recruitment and getting getting the word out there as to what the, what the job of a court officer entails and how it's a, it's a terrific career opportunity. Um, I, I think it just that there weren't enough uh, qualified candidates at that time. Um, when I came out to Suffolk County in 1999, um, there were only a handful of uh, minority uh, court officers. Um, so it uh, it was just you know kind of just the way things played themselves out. But it's, it's definitely gotten a lot better, and we've made uh, great strides. You mentioned earlier about your mother's work ethic, and you have certainly risen through the ranks step by step by step. Is the secret of your success the work ethic you inherited from your mother? Absolutely. I mean, I think um, my, my faith also plays a part in, in that. Um, I've always uh, believed in, in my faith and, and my faith helping me throughout my life and um, just having that moral and ethical standard that... Um, allows you to work hard and, and work as though uh, everything you do matters and that you can make a difference in every single thing that you do. Beautifully said. Now, what does it say to you, what does it say to the Latino community that those benchmarks uh, have been achieved, that, that people can look to the court system and they can see someone like you? I mean, it's, it's super important because even out here, um, I'm, now that I'm more in a supervisory role, I spend a lot of time mostly behind the scenes, but... Um, being out on on the front, being like one of the first faces that people see, um, especially in the Hispanic community and Latino community, that um, so many individuals come into our buildings and, and don't speak English. And when they can see a face that resembles theirs, uh, they, they instantly, they would oftentimes know I spoke Spanish before they even spoke to me. So they would oftentimes, you know, approach me and then ask me if I knew Spanish in, in Spanish. And when I respond to them in Spanish, you would, you would just see that their face would see they would be so relieved that someone was able to communicate with them um, that was in an official capacity. I, I can understand how that would be so important. Now, I, I know you're active in the uh, Latino Court Officer Society. What does the organization do? Um, it's mostly a paternal organization. Um, it's definitely doing all the things basically that we spoke about, increasing awareness as to um, the, the Latino community, um, trying to increase diversity within the court system, um, and also, um, you know, uh, doing charitable uh, deeds and um, just basically uh, trying to, you know, um, 
organize and, and basically stay united. Now, offline, we discuss the difference between Latino and Hispanic. And I know the Latino Judges Association was once the Judges of Hispanic Heritage. For our listeners, can you sort that out for me? What's the difference between the two terms and why does it matter? I mean, it's very, um, it, it's, it's kind of gained traction lately that, um, you know, originally everything was Hispanic until um, people started to dive more into the history of the phrase and uh, the term Hispanic and what it actually means. You know, it, it oftentimes just referred to anyone who spoke Spanish. And um, it, it could be that uh, it was kind of limiting to say that someone was Hispanic because it, it would be tied down to a geographical area. area. Whereas the term Latino kind of was more encompassing, where it referred to um, geographically anyone from Central or South America and the Caribbean. So it kind of uh, broadened the, the scope of, of the phrase and allowed more inclusivity in terms of, I think, uh, like, for instance, you know, the Hispanic American parade and, and things like of that nature, it just kind of basically included more people as, as uh, Spanish-speaking countries, you know, it can be from different races, many different colors, many, many different shades. We come in, and um, it's that that concept of, of inclusivity that, that, I guess, brought that change about. I see. So Spanish-speaking doesn't mean you're from Spain. Correct, yes. And it's yeah. in the same way that English-speaking doesn't mean you're from England. Correct, <laughs> yes. Yeah, similar. Now, Latino is a masculine noun, um, why not Latinx? Why do you, why do you use Latino rather than Latinx? Latinx is, is also another phrase that is also gaining traction. Um, and I think that's uh, a phrase that I think is going to become more and more common, um, as the LGBTQ community has also joined in, in terms of making, making the phrase, finding a phrase that was more inclusive to everyone. And, uh, that Latinx would make something more, uh, gender neutral. Um, so I think that that phrase Latinx, you can describe yourself, you know, for someone who may um, be binary or have, um, uh, you know, may not want to be identified as male or female would use the phrase Latinx. You know? mm -hmm. um, it's, it's difficult because in the Spanish language, almost everything is assigned a gender. Even even a chair, for instance, can be have a male or female connotation. So it's like everything in, in the Spanish language is, is assigned a gender based on I don't even know how the formula works, but. That's just the way it's always been. Now, do you celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month in, in your home? Yes. Uh, every year, in fact, here in the court system as well, and, and especially in Suffolk County, we have um, uh, taken part in Hispanic Heritage Month every single year. Um, I've been on every single, uh, you know, my district administrative judges over the last four or five that I've had all, um, you know, uh, would put together a committee in terms of um, – planning for Hispanic Heritage Month celebration, which we've done here in Suffolk every year since it uh, became an official uh, designation. And um, it's been something that I'm, I'm proud to be a part of. And um, in terms of exactly that, increasing diversity, increasing awareness, and exposing my fellow court members to, to the uh, Latino culture. Beautiful. So if a young person aspires to follow in your footsteps, let's say someone in high school, What's your advice? How do they get started? What what do they, how do they even get there? Hey, first, you definitely want to keep your nose clean. That that would be my my first recommendation. You know, you want to choose your friends wisely as to to the types of individuals that you um, 
you know, hang out with or spend time with. Um, it's having that work ethic. It's, it's about keeping your nose clean and then um, just working hard for everything, believing that, that you can do things despite the fact that other people may say, um, you know, you're too small, you're too short, you're too young, you're too this, you're too that. It's, it's just about knowing what you want and, and not stopping despite the fact that, uh, that people may say you can't, that you just continue to pursue your goals and, and to set goals. You know, each step of my career, I've done exactly that, is to set my next goal and try to keep myself motivated to continue pressing and moving forward. That is wonderful advice. Uh, Chief, thank you so much for your time and thank you so much for your service. Thank you. Thank you again. It's been a pleasure.